and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Coming to you this week, as we tend to do, at least during a good chunk of the Formula One season, right smack dab between qualifying and the race. And now that Formula One has started, it leads to this question being asked around our house once again. How can you go outside when it's Grand Prix Day? Uh, yeah. Well, my pleather jumpsuit is at the cleaners, and I feel underdressed. Oh, that's understandable, then. She was being facetious, dear. Oh, I see. That's exactly what we were asking <laughs> earlier today. Now, you know what is really special about the Australian Grand Prix? Seven hours of racing jargon and mindless statistics. Here we come. Ooh, snacks. Mm-hmm. And they're race-themed. Well, vroom, vroom. That? No. Oh. <laughs> because Australia is so far away, Free Practice 1 actually started for us on Thursday night. Yes, primetime viewing. Yes, which meant that Quali was at 2 o'clock in the morning. We are not that far off from the actual race as we sit here and record. Well, for our friends over on the West Coast, I mean, truly this is primetime viewing for them. I know. You could watch it live. Of course, then you can't fast forward through NBC Sports' commercials. So, you know, you got to take what you can get there. True. And, you know, any blithering about some minute piece of rule that is, you know, tires or something. Well, you know, you, you, you get that with all the coverage. There has to be that, that talk and that explanation about it. But do you know who is spending this year watching Formula One on TV? Nico Rosberg, Jensen Button. Well, I was going right for Nico Rosberg. Oh, okay. Um who, you know, even though he is home and relaxing and, you know, retired, he said this past week that he wants to stay involved in racing. So what he had to say, and I believe this was to Autosport, he said, one thing is for sure, and that's how you know it came from Nico, because he said, he, he for, said sure. for sure. But <laughs> he said, one thing is for sure, I want to stick with racing in some capacity, whatever it may be, but I won't be coming back as a driver, no way. I'm sure. thankful <laughs> for sure. I'm thankful even though I put my life upside down by retiring from the sport. But I followed my heart and I'm really happy to close my personal F1 book with winning the world title. I achieved everything I set out to achieve. Now my new life uh will be as big a challenge as F1 was. Now our friends over at Red Bull, they they have a little more information here. Because oh, you know, okay. they they have connections. Um, th this comes direct from our friends over, over at Red Bull. They say Nico Rosberg has insisted he's loving every minute of retirement. The reigning world champion who sensationally quit the sport hours before receiving his trophy claims he hasn't missed F1 at all. And while helping out around the family home isn't quite what he imagined, he's setting, settling into domesticality really well. Rosberg explains he has no regrets about giving up the jet-setting lifestyle of an international playboy and is much happier changing nappies, finding Mr. Dinosaur, and comforting a teething child at 3 a.m. every morning. The more relaxed former driver laughed about the bags under his eyes and having fingernails bitten down to the quick and joked about not finding the presence of a very demanding child in the next room all that unfamiliar at all. I'm thinking of getting a dog, said the German, laughing so hard he started to cry. Something energetic that needs lots of walks. Do you fancy going to the pub? <laughs> now, you, can, you know, he mentioned going to the pub. Fun fact about Australia. 
Up until 1966, the pubs closed at 6 p.m. In Australia? Yep. Till 1966. I would not have thought that. Hey, fun fact. Thank you to our friends over at Williams. Well, you know who else is uh, watching Formula One this year on the telly as opposed to occasionally showing up at the track and sowing fear and terror among all in the paddock? Oh, well, the only person that's going to sow fear and terror into anyone if it is not how tight David Cothard's pants are, it is definitely Bernie Eccleston. It is, and he is apparently, he is making his rounds on what I think could best be described right now, at least, as a sympathy tour. Oh. Um, there, not there a was, victory tour, a sympathy tour. Oh, no, not a victory tour. There were a couple of dinners held in his honor from some of his gang of buddies who are also outside of the sport and some various things. But he also, he's been giving some interviews. Um, he should be very interesting to see what happens. I think it's next week. He has already scheduled an interview with Autosports Dieter Rankin in Abu Dhabi. Uh-oh. Um, and that comes on the heels of these remarks he made last Sunday to the mail. He says, I can't do anything. Even the staff even the staff have been told they shouldn't talk to me. They want to get rid of the Bernie era. Let's get rid of Bernie's history. They always say the same thing. They probably think it makes me happy, but it doesn't. He has done a super job, but we have to move on. And they may be right. Was I annoyed when Liberty asked me to step down? No. The way I look at it, if somebody buys a car, they want to drive it, he said. I was a little disappointed because I was asked before they took over, would I stay here for three years if they took over? And I said, provided I was fit and competent, yes, I would. So I was a bit surprised the day after they completed the deal that I was asked to stand down because Chase wanted to be chief executive. Chase did that face to face. I've been trying to run the business as a chief executive of the company to make profits for the shareholders, he said. I knew CVC wanted to sell the company. I was doing all I could to make sure the company was set up to make profits in order that they could sell. They let me run things the way I thought they should be run. I'm terribly envious of Chase because he is in a lovely position of being able to do a lot of things I wanted to do and couldn't. Well, and he might be right. If his only goal, if that was the edict that he was given that he had to perform was make profit, it does not afford you to do some other things. And I think Chase Carey's in a different position than Bernie It was. But I think Chase Carey is also approaching it. And, and Liberty in general is approaching it from a very different perspective than Bernie is. Liberty's perspective is we want to grow the sport. We want to grow the fan base. And by growing that, we make more money. Okay. And but, Bernie's position was I want to make money now. But wait one second. There's, there's an important key difference here. CVC Capital is a venture capital company. Mm-hmm. If they were getting ready to spin the company, to spin Formula One to make profit, the best way you do that is, is, and this is the way all of these companies, you not monetize just everything. You monetize absolutely everything. You put on paper how much profit, 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 profit is the only word that gets said for about the first year, you know, the year or so right before they want to start putting it up for sale because now look and see how profitable it is. Now, Liberty has come in to buy the company 
but to buy the Formula One. And the deal is going to be that they're going to look at the long game because they're not in a position to try to sell the business. Because they're not in sell mode, you'll look at longer term growth. But Bernie is right. I mean, this is this is not me being down on Bernie. Bernie is right. CBC was in sell mode, <coughs> which means everything was about profit. But CBC wasn't in sell mode the entire time, time that they owned Formula One or True. they owned FOM. And that that's, I think, the key thing. Yes, for the, the last maybe year, year and a half, they were in sell mode. But prior to that, they were not. And some of the other decisions that we've always laid at Bernie's feet are prior to that. But what he's saying there is exactly what I would expect. He's been in hyper-profit mode for CBC, and Liberty's playing a long game. He's been in hyper-profit mode for the last 40, if not 50 <laughs> years. Because the reality is, Bernie doesn't want anybody to make more money in Formula One than him. No, Period. True. The end. True. I mean, I, I get it. I get it. I'm not trying to defend him. I'm just saying that that's why he says that Chase Carey can do things that he couldn't do. Now, I do have a question about Liberty, though. Okay. This is a very important question. I need I need somebody to help explain to me. We saw an interview today with their new marketing guy. Yeah, hopefully he, he stays behind the camera more, not in front of the camera. Well, I want to know, is unusual or ironic facial hair a requirement <laughs> to work for Liberty? Because Chase has got that weird handlebar mustache. He, he's rocking a handlebar. And their marketing guy has got some eyebrows and some unique sideburns. Um, but those eyebrows are disturbing. Yeah, Sean Bratches has has a look that's fairly distinctive. I've never seen eyebrows that long <laughs> in my life. Not even like on really old men. What do you think he's compensating for? And moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wait, My, actually, that would be... large eyebrows. That's Tim Taylor, care of Tool Time. P.O. Box 3273. Okay, well, at least that one was on you and not on me I know, for time. once it was me. Well, now I have one on David Cothart. Oh, Mr. Tight Pants. Um, yeah, he said something fairly stupid. What in the world did he say? So he was speaking to the UK Daily Record about... Um, women and their ability to be competitive in formula one and right there you know this is going to be oh. trouble oh. so what david had to say we all have different skills and some people choose to develop those skills in competition and there's no reason why a lady could not compete at the highest level it's not the physical aspect that limits ladies' ability to compete in Formula One at the top level. It's maybe that last little bit of separation between the mothering DNA that makes ladies capable of having a child and providing for that child. Now, as he said this, I can't help but wonder where his former co-driver in the race of champions representing Scotland was when he was getting his butt handed to him by Michael Schumacher and uh, Sebastian Vettel. That would be Susie, Susie Wolf. Wolf. 
She was probably having a baby. No, not yet. No, we're, we're not on baby. We're, we're still on baby watch. For yeah, the I think we still have a few months. Now, it's possible that she did not make it to the interview because, well, she's had her driver's license suspended. Well, there is that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Please tell me that somebody smacked Cothard in the head. I don't know if they have yet, but. It, I, I, before you talk about Susie losing her license, um, it is a common statement that people make that and I, I think it is it's I think it is something that is fairly logical that uh, some straw man argument that somebody could buy into this idea that women are givers of life and therefore they tend to take fewer risks of life and racing by its very core is risky well I've, I've got something there for you that that ties into that okay Roman Grosjean, mm-hmm. you know, in, in his 2012 days where he got black flag for and, and the first job nutcase and all that, the start of, of 2013 as well, he was a little iffy. And, and then everybody credited that he, his driving really started to calm down once he became a father. Right. And there was a lot of talk that that really changed how he drove, if that was really true. However, what Roman has to say is that when the helmet is on and you close the visor, you don't think about the fact that you're a dad or that there is a family behind. You're focused on the job. Right. Well, okay, so I'm going back to this idea. There's a very popular argument, whether valid or not, I'm not even arguing that, that women tend to be less inclined to put their own selves at risk because of this innate nurturing bent that we're supposed to be blessed with. I happen to really love some of the things that Susie Wolf has said about women in racing. And what she talks about is not whether or not you're willing to risk your life as being the differentiator between great and not great in drivers. But what she talks about is that the reason she believes that women can do well in motorsport is because the engine is the great equalizer. That this is not a foot race where muscle structure and muscle strength and that type of thing would play a role that truly in the car, gender matters the least because the vehicle itself is the equalizer. Yeah. Um, And then it comes down to the same kinds of reaction time differences that men have with men or women would have with women. And if that's why she believes that a woman could definitely not only race F1, but be competitive in F1. Um, I, I, I get it. And I think Roman is exactly right. Now we have always said that once somebody has a kid, we think their driving style changes. I think Nico's changed. And, oh, definitely. And I think that that's an important because you do start thinking about something greater than yourself. I mean, hold on if uh, Hamilton ever decides to have a child. <laughs> For, well, who knows what kind of love child he, child he has. But Sebastian Vettel is a father. Mm-hmm. Kimi Raikkonen. Is a father. At least he thinks, he, he may not remember what happened. <laughs> but <laughs> there well, is a child least, accredited to him. There is, uh, there, there is a child. <laughs> I wonder if that child has ever heard him speak. 
Anyway, um, but, you know, then you turn around and you look at, like, the Verstappen family. Yeah. And... Mom's a racer, dad's a racer, sister's a racer, and then there's Max. And then there's Max. And, you know, it was his mom was pushing him as hard, if not harder, than his dad. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that it's not an issue of gender. And I think that we need to get away from this idea that somehow body parts determine how well you're going to drive a car. The, The reality is, what I truly think it is, it's not a matter of whether or not a woman can compete and be successful in Formula One. It's a matter of whether or not Formula One can attract a woman with the skills to compete and be successful to Formula One. Because you look at the number of men who are attracted to auto sports in general. There's a deeper pool there of talent that they're pulling in. Well, if they're not attracting women in the first place, your pool of talent is a lot smaller. Right. Right, and that's why it's so important that we have the Susie Wolf's Dare to be Different mm-hmm. campaigns. And in a way, I almost think about this in terms of the rise of the horse jockeys. I mean, there's a, a significant female contingent in the jockey world mm-hmm. also. Again, you have, you have a leveling set. And if you think about it, with weight being such an issue in cars – developing slighter drivers and developing female drivers that physically would be naturally slighter would be where you could find your talent pool. I mean, Nico Hulkenberg has already been said that his career is hampered by being six feet tall. Yeah. And I think Lewis Hamilton is shorter than I am. I, a man is not tall. One day, maybe we'll find out. One day, and when I have to look down on his greasy hair, it is not going to be a pretty moment. <laughs> but hey, speaking of Susie Wolf and Dare to Be Different, yes, you know, move, moving on at least a little bit. As we mentioned, Susie Wolf has been handed a six-month driving suspension. She actually got this back in it was November um, because she already had nine points on her license for two prior speeding incidents, um, but it was suspended until there was an appeal. Oh, just this past week. Um, unfortunately, she had yet another speeding incident where she was clocked doing 35 in a 30-mile-per-hour zone uh, near her home in East Hanny, Oxfordshire. And that was enough for the judges to go, uh, yeah, we're upholding the ban. Wow. Now, she says that it's a hugely embarrassing situation to find myself in. I'm a professional driver, and to be caught speeding and to have my license taken away for speeding, it would have an effect on my reputation. And that was her argument to try and keep her license as part of this appeal. Um, She apparently uh, felt that she was being treated as a quote-unquote girl racer, which is a term that she finds to be derogatory. Yes, she does. Um, Because she's not, you know, she doesn't hoon cars or anything like that. Um, She has a $500, or excuse me, a 500-pound fine for the offense, which was upheld, Plus, she needs to pay an additional $427 in court costs, as well as an $18.58 victim surcharge. Wow. So, yeah, it's a good thing uh, she knows some drivers who can drive her around. Well, I'm quite sure that Toto will make sure that she gets where she needs to go. Yeah. And, well, you know, she's ginormously pregnant. She... She won't be, you know, 
speeding through the roundabouts for very much longer. So, you know, repl- I, I guess essentially replacing Bernie in the figurehead role, just the, the way the press coverage has been, has been Ross Braun. Mm-hmm. Ross Braun had his own bit of stupid this week. Oh, did he comment on female drivers? No, he, he couched this well, but it was, I think what he said and the way he said it was really, really dumb. Okay. Okay. He was talking about um, the, the shark fins, and I guess that there was an idea put out to put uh, the driver's initials and numbers on the shark fins so that they were easy to read. But what he said was that the frust- this is his words. The frustrating thing is that FIA President Jean Todd has had this bee in his bonnet, which is valid in a way to put the number on the side of the car so that the fan in the grandstand can see what car he's looking at. Here's where we go. Because not every fan is knowledgeable enough to recognize the helmet and all the rest of it. So we came up with the shark fin idea for that because that was the easy addition to put a big number on. And half of the team said, we're not going to have that on their cars. That's terrible. It was tested. We had photographs and everything. And everyone said, that's horrible. We don't want that. Part of the sales pitch for these new rules was nicer looking cars. We've only half achieved that, haven't we? Because we've got all these oddities, shark fins and T-wings and more bits surrounding the turning veins than I've seen for a long time. That's okay. That's understandable with a new set of rules. But the next iteration has got to make sure that we don't, even if it's only for aesthetics. And you know what, Ross? You're right. Not every fan is knowledgeable enough to recognize the helmet and all the rest of it. But not only are they not knowledgeable enough to to recognize the helmet, when the cars are going 175 to 200 miles an hour, they can't see the helmet. Well, and they can't read the number either on the side because we've already proven that at an Indy race where they have the numbers on the side with their positions on there. Yeah. And that works you, for TV. It, it doesn't works work for, for TV. You, it does not work in the stands. <clears throat> in live action, you can't read that number. It's going too fast. And we were at a corner. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I get what you're trying to say there. But, you know, at least you get it right by... You can narrow it down to two cars if you compare it to your sister sported Indy car. Lord only knows who the driver is. If you don't know what what kind of car they might be in. Well, well, even more than that, when it comes to IndyCar, that paint job could change on a weekly basis. Exactly. Which, of course, is the and and, and I, you know, yeah, Formula One has cracked down on drivers changing their helmets weekly. But when Ross was still in the sport, drivers were changing their helmets almost weekly. Yeah, but that was also, and I'm I'm bummed about that because that was such a um, there was a some cool stuff. Thing. Yeah, and, you know those those helmets would get auctioned off for for various charities in the lo- locations that that was run, and that's kind of cool. Now, some of the other things that Ross did say that I don't think were were, were about as stupid. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, he he was talking about. Uh, contracts and what they need to look at here. He said, there's always going to be differences of opinion. There's going to be different views on things, and sometimes things get a bit heated. But at the core of it, there's lots of willingness to cooperate. 
The elephant we, in the room, we all know, is distribution of funds, and the discussions need to start on that so that everyone knows where everyone stands and we can start to find solutions. We don't want to have a Mexican standoff in 2020 to see who's chicken. That's what happened last time. Um, what he says to, to go on further is there was a time in American football where there was quite a heavily distorted reward system, and the top two teams got the majority of the money and the rest struggled. The top two teams sacrificed their position in order to have an equitable solution. When it became much more successful because there was a competitive spread, those two teams surpassed what they were getting before because the sport became so much more successful. Is there a lesson for us there? It's a great example of the balance of sport and commercialism. I, I think at least that, that gives us some insight as to what Liberty is pushing for. I think it's 2020 or 2021 when next agreements come up. They've got to start pushing to talk on this. Well, they, they have to. Um, I know your favorite team principal and mine. Monisha has come out and made the comment that she fervently believes that even the top teams that are getting these bonus payments um, will be open to renegotiating the deal because even though they'll get less money, they they do know it's better for the sport. Yes and no. I don't know. I don't that, know but... if they're willing to go all the way and give it in true leveling fashion. But at this point, here here's something I got to wonder about Sauber in particular, okay? Because they've got so much blank space on their car, they are celebrating the fact that it is their 25th year in Formula One. Yeah. Now, I, I don't think that quite adds up to uh, where Renault has been in their participation and certainly is a lot longer, though, than Red Bull. So why are they not asking about historic payments if they've been around for 25 years? Or is that the whole reason why they're branded on the side of the board? They said, hey, look, uh, we've been here a while, too. I don't know. Well, the problem is I don't know if they have um, – it's not just being there for a while. It's also having success. <laughs> I mean, uh, when was Sauber, you know, a top team? I think briefly when they were partnered with BMW for a short period of time. I think that was about it. So, I mean. I think the, they've always been kind of a mid-pack team. And I think that that's why. But also keep in mind, nobody's negotiating for historic payments right now. Mr. Historic Payments has been well, we relegated to emeritus status. We don't know. We know that it's been threatened that they will go away, but mm -hmm. we don't know more than that. So Ross also was commenting on the potential, you know, there's been a lot of talk that the racing may not be that great because of all the arrow and everything else. So what he said was that if we see things this year that we don't think are great for the sport, then we will be fighting our corner and we will be fighting at every level. You can rest assured that we will be working with the teams and working with the FIA to find solutions if we don't feel the racing is as good as it should be. So he's saying that they're going to go and fight to make things better. Now, one of the things that we know is that Ross, as we mentioned a little earlier, doesn't like the T-wings, and he doesn't like the shark fins. Well, Charlie Whiting says that uh, he is expecting that they are going to be banned for next year. Okay, so this is a one and done on the shark fins. Um, he said, personally, he doesn't have anything against them, but it was something that was always going to be possible, and I think the reaction of everybody probably wasn't expected. 
Um, he said that the FIA would be checking the T-Wings in Melbourne, as we have seen and we'll talk about in a little bit, to ensure they passed flexibility tests. Yes. And we'll get to that in a little bit. So let's talk a little bit about Honda. I, from our pre-show warm-up, there's a lot to talk about with Honda. There is. Um, for starters, uh, Fernando has said that he expects it to be a difficult Australian Grand Prix for McLaren Honda. And again now, I, I go back to some in, insight that we got from our friends over at Red Bull. Okay. And you can take this with a grain of salt or not, but this comes from our friends over, over at Red Bull. Um, according to them, a spokesman for Fernando Alonso has claimed the Spaniard is perfectly happy with his car, fully committed to the 2017 season, and is not, for example, thinking of running away to join the circus. Countering reports that the intense double world champion had ripped the door to his ready room off his hinges, the spokesman cited unfortunately timed metal fatigue, while the sound of crockery and gr glassware being smashed was attributed to mice. It's all going really well, isn't it, said the spokesman, with a hint of desperation in his voice. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> really appreciate this stuff from Red Bull. <laughs> wow. And we have some other stuff we're going to share in a little bit, too. From Did them. the Red Bull people hire uh, what's-his-face from Sniff Petrol? No, the, they have always had, and he used to have his own Twitter feed. He's been rolled into Red Bull itself. Um, it's an occasional blog that pops up called the Red Bull Spy. Ah. That is posted comments like this. He does, doesn't always do it for every race, at least on the blog. But now that we're getting some content from them, we're seeing this stuff. Um. Just so you are aware, for those people that are awake in the middle of the night mm -hmm. on the East Coast and prime time on the West Coast, um, you might want to follow Williams Racing. They have been live tweeting their uh, experience at Australia. I mean, live tweeting. Yeah, no, a lot of teams do that. That That's something that they have been able to do. Um, they, they did that through much of last year. A lot of the teams do it. Mercedes does it. Um, Force India has done it, and, and I know Renault has done it. Um, I Actually, I'm positive Renault has done it, and they did it as Lotus. I don't think Sauber has done it, and I don't follow Toro Rosso. Or, or Actually, I do follow Red Bull. I don't think they do it. Well, Williams, I think, really <coughs> stuffed up their game. I've not seen them do quite as much and as detailed as they did. Well, one of the things that happened this year is – FOM through Liberty Media for the first time ever put out social media guidelines to the teams mm -hmm. and, and gave them permission and guidelines to follow so that they could do all of this engagement. And so far, according to Liberty, they are seeing a lot of fan results, a lot of results and in interaction with the fans more than they have ever seen in the past. Pretty cool. But back to... Back to Honda. Yeah. The whole point, Honda. Yeah. Honda still has concerns about reliability from uh, McLaren. Um, some of the things that we have heard from... Uh, Honda has concerns about reliability or McLaren has concerns about no, Honda's reliability? Honda has concerns about reliability. Interesting. Um a few of the things that we've gotten and there there's there have been some changes made to the engine in the last couple of weeks but honda's f1 chief yasuki hasagawa 
claims that progress has been made. He said, in terms of performance, there has been room for improvement with mapping in order to have better drivability. And with further analysis, we were able to make additional changes to be ready for Melbourne. We know we are heading in the right direction and will continue our efforts in order to increase our competitiveness throughout the season. Now, there were some additional comments that were made by Mr. Hasegawa um, to explain the issues that have occurred so far. And this is where I think the words that he used are very interesting. And you notice before, he's, there was a lot of weeds. Mm -hmm. So this is what he said following up with what happened uh, going into or th through testing. He says, the issues that they had, it was not a problem with the engine itself, although the thing vibrating the most was the engine. The trouble caused cracks in a carbon pipe on the side of the car with the harness getting detached. However, I don't know if these problems will occur again if the engine vibrations stop. I am worried. It is also certain that the cars rode over the curbs at Barcelona, and this caused some vibration. If we have such a weakness in the side of the car, then it is worrying. In the Spanish test, trouble occurred in the oil tank on the first day of the first week and the engine itself on the second day. I do not disclose what kind of trouble, but I have taken countermeasures. On the first day of the second week, the high-voltage systems were insulated against these problems, and I think that the big problem is solved. On the second day of the second week's test, there was a water leak in the radiator. That is why I turned off the engine. Elaborating on the oil tank issue, he said, it was a matter of design. There was a baffle plate inside, but it seems that it was not able to properly suck up oil because its shape was bad. I have changed that. It was a very rudimentary problem. And what caught my eye about this is the number of times I was used. Hmm. Not we, not the engineers, but I have done this. Interesting. That I, I thought that was kind of odd. That is interesting. Now, Honda also says that they are working on uh, major engine changes. Uh, as we have heard last year when they were working on major engine changes, uh, we're not expecting to see them until the, the, the series moves to Europe. In particular, they are targeting Monaco. Oh, wow. That's I would think that they'd want to target Barcelona since Barcelona is a good benchmark for them, but they are targeting Monaco okay. for the release of a new engine with si significantly upgraded power. Okay. So Eric Bouillet commented on the situation. Um, and let me just pull up his remarks here. Do you have them up or you yes, want me to? Yes, I've got them. Okay. Okay. Um, what Eric Boulier told, and he was saying this to Autosport this week, he said the one thing which is to understand, he said that, excuse me, let me start that again. They only need one thing, which is to understand and integrate the F1 racing culture. What I mean by that is the way we behave in racing in Formula One is all driven by a calendar, by some fixed targets, fixed dates, lap time games. We always try to go to the best solution as fast as possible. Where a car manufacturer is running a project, you can have a few weeks delay, and it's not going to change the product. It's not going to change the business model. In racing, if you don't bring your upgrade for race one, in race one, you will be nowhere. That is this racing mentality. It's as far as going to suppliers and making sure that if they do something in one month, the next time they do it in three weeks, and from three weeks to two weeks. 
we value more the time gained than the money spent. This is a different approach from the rest of the world. So some of the things that Honda has done is they invested in a remote engine workshop in Milton Keynes, which, by the way, is where Red Bull is. Uh, but Boulier reckons that keeping its main base in Japan and working to the corporate culture of the parent motor company means the F1 operation is too slow to cope with the demands of modern Grand Prix racing. The Didn't I say something about that like last week or the week before about this idea that here Honda had it was when we introduced well we, we were talking about the indie stuff and here Honda's been in in motor racing for 30 something years and they still can't seem to get it right and you made the comment that F1 is run out of Japan and there's an American indie though that's running the indie car stuff you'd think that you'd get some synergies just from at least having this stuff run in the same Well, this is where Boulier went on. He said, this is why Mercedes is based in England, and I guess they benefit from the supply chain from people with experience of F1. Our suppliers maybe cost twice as much as Honda's, but are three, four, five times faster. In some ways, you can realize the corporate influence is not helping to be efficient. The more you behave like a corporate company, the more process inherited from a corporate company, the slower you are, the less agile you are, which doesn't the racing culture wow and you know i heard this and all i could think of was these comments from eddie jordan from two years ago specifically about honda i really fear that they have misjudged the whole competitiveness of formula one in its current guys wow yeah i've always thought he was so wise um (laughs) It makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've never really thought Eric Bouguet was a great analyst of the situations, but I think that's pretty spot on as to some of the struggles that they're having. Um, I mean, working halfway around the world, you're not even sharing a whole lot of working hours that are the same. Um, But you're not gaining a 24-hour work cycle either. Well, I think... The only team who has shown that they can get away with that they can truly get away with it is Ferrari. Not being in England. Yes. Well, yeah, but Ferrari everything is has, still centralized and in one is place. Still in one place. But, but if you look at, um, you know, Sauber has their en- They're not doing. They're not building engines. They're in Switzerland. They're one of the few that's down there. Um, Renault is in two places. They're running down in Viry, France, and they're up in, in Brack in uh, no, not Brackley. Mercedes is in Brackley. Endstone. Endstone. That's it. The Endstone team. They're over in Endstone. Even Haas, they've got the main operation over in Canapolis, but they bought the original Manor facilities over in England. Mm-hmm. Seven Formula One teams all of which are still in the sport, are within a strong stone's throw of Silverstone. I mean, they're Yeah, all I mean, they're within general. 30 miles. It, it, they call it the Motorsports Valley. Right. There's a reason. Mm-hmm. Between pool of talent, pool of resources, pool of availability, there's a reason. And just because you have one part of your your operation there, but to put the other part, I mean, it's one thing with Renault in between France and England, they're kind of close. Yeah. Japan and England, 
not so close. Oh, you're talking 14, 15 hour time difference. Easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, all that being said, you know, last week we had the word that McLaren was talking to other engine manufacturers. Well, this week we have word that Honda said, well, you know, if you're going to go talk to other engine manufacturers, we're going to talk to other teams. Now, they won't say who they spoke to, but Honda said that they have spoken to one or two other teams about a possible engine supply. My thought is that the response from those teams were, win something, then we'll talk. I know. I know. Well, yeah. Now, I know that you care all about what Josh Verstappen Joss Verstappen? Yes. Has to say about McLaren. Joss Verstappen. Yes. What Joss has to say. It's too many S's all in the same thing. (laughs) What he has to say about McLaren Honda. And quite frankly, not much. But what he he does have to say is all about Mr. Stoffel. Stoffel Van Dorn. Joss is very concerned about the Van Dorn child. This is a good way to kill your career. Well, that's what he's concerned about. He's like, the 24-year-old's got talent. He's good. He deserves to be in a in a seat. And here he is strapped with a, a team that's not going to serve him very well. And that was his, his point. But my favorite line of the article was somebody went and asked, yeah, uh, asked young Stoffel, you know, how long was he willing to wait out Formula One's recognition of you know, him and he says well if you ignore the fact i've been waiting three years to get on the grid <laughs> i mean quite the thing is, he's not a particularly young guy in formula one years 24. you know you got stroll who's 18 we have max who came in at 17 yep we had uh, Sebastian Vettel, when he started came in at 17 we've got all these drivers or he came in at 18 Um, Max was the youngest. Yes. But we've got all these drivers that are coming in now or have come in and started in their teens. Yeah, you got to think at some point Stoffel's going, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Well, I mean, still your median age is in the early 20s. You know, the window is like 20 to 22 for their entry. And here Stoffel is 24. I mean, he's run one race. Yeah. Um, and scored bef- points, but... <laughs> yeah, most points McLaren had for a while. Yeah. Um, but by the same token, he's he's a he's a bright star. And if Verstappen says that he's got talent, he's not a poor judge of talent. I mean, you got to yeah. give him that. And so I think it'll be... I think that was just an interesting little side note that Verstappen was concerned. He sees a kid that's getting hamstrung, and that's not fair. Well, speaking of Verstappen's, Max w- was talking about the state of the Red Bull prior to this weekend. Uh, he believes that the Red Bull is still a little bit tricky to get the balance set. He does not think, it, at least at the beginning of the season, that they will be in a position to win races. Right. Now, that being said, Force India, who had their their highest ever finish last year, a fourth, and was hoping to move up, Bob Fernley came out and said, uh, yeah, we're not getting in the third. There's no way. <laughs> Those guys, they're in a league of their own. We ain't touching that. Yeah. Now, 
um, according to Max, he says that there's a few issues that are going on with the car, um, that they're low on power, they're low on grip, um, you know, and then there's some setup things that are uniquely to Verstappen's standards, his yeah. exacting Yeah, well, every standards. driver's like that. Um, but they have just not quite gotten his setup quite right. And quite frankly, you know, we haven't talked about qualifying results, but I think it showed in his qualifying. Well, he also didn't get a lot of running. But before we, we get into qualifying, mm-hmm. it is time. The season is kicking off. We have had the first practice. We have had the qualifying. It is is time. Spanning the globe to bring you the pinnacle of our sport. From the thrill of victory. Yes, yes, great drive, great drive. Well done. To the agony of defeat. Stop, jump out, jump out. Oh, for f- sake. This is Formula One. We are actor of a big show. Blue flag, blue flag, blue flag. Okay, looks like we go strap mode three, strap mode three. We need to pull a gap, we need to pull a gap. Don't ask questions, just execute. I thought we needed an intro for the season. All right. Well, you worked very hard on that intro. I did. It was getting the entire marching band to play that for you was. Uh... I, I had to make some phone calls. Um, it, it took a little bit of work. Finally, we we got somebody to agree to it. Well, that's good. <laughs> As opposed to you know not agreeing to it. And then you know being what the weather's like here in, in Ohio, trying to find a good day that we could record and do all of this stuff. And do you know what it took to get Maurizio Rivabene to repeat that line for me? I, probably quite a bit. <laughs> I was very impressed by the fact that the entire marching band performed that on our front lawn. They did. I, I, I think the neighbors didn't necessarily appreciate well, the it. The fact that you did it at 4 a.m. was probably inappropriate. I, I don't see the issue. <laughs> And you tried to squeeze the recording in before you went to work that day. It was very bad. I had a busy day. I had some appointments. <laughs> All right. So, anyway. It let, has begun. It has begun. And let's start off first um, with our Renault track facts. And then you have some stuff from Williams. And then I have some stuff from Red Bull. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, we are just, we got all kinds of great stuff. So, our you know, our traditional track facts that, that have come from, from uh Renault. And first off, we're going to put this on here because this was before qualifying. Mm-hmm. Prior to qualifying, the lap record for uh, the uh, Albert Park circuit that I lost, it, it's not on here, the name of the circuit. For the mm-hmm. Albert Park circuit, the, the lap record was set by Michael Schumacher in 2004 of 1 minute 24.125 seconds. Now, to put that in perspective to where things are today, Lewis Hamilton captured pole with a 1 minute 22.188 seconds. 
Uh, race distance is 307.574 kilometers on a circuit length of 5.303 kilometers. 58 laps. The tires that will be used in this uh, this week. Ultra soft, super soft, and the soft. So you will see the Snuggle Bears. Yeah. Actually, we've already seen the Snuggle Bear tires. We saw lots of Snuggle Bear tires. This is about mid-range for tire wear. Um, bit high for brake wear, a bit high for downforce. Some tough corners in this track. Now, Renault in Australia, as both a constructor and an engine supplier, has had 122 starts, 8 wins, 23 podiums, 10 poles, 8 fastest laps, and 351 total points. And there is a 54% chance of a safety car. The lowest starting position for a winner was 11th, and there have been 14 winners from pole. So some of Renault's facts. Mm -hmm. Former Australian Prime Minister Bob Hawke gained a place in the Guinness Book of World Records prior to his appointment to office when he drank a yard glass of ale in fewer than 12 seconds in 1954. That's why I find it hard to believe that the pubs closed early. Pubs closed by (laughs) 6 o'clock by law. Tasmania is the world's largest producer of opium alkaloids for the pharmaceutical market. It produces about half of the world's concentrated poppy straw from morphine and related opiates. Interesting. With an amazing amount of foresight for the delivery of the RS-17, Melbourne was officially called Batmania. (laughs) In May and June 1835, the area which is now central and northern Melbourne was explored by one John Batman, who negotiated a purchase of 2,400 square kilometers with the Wurundjeri elders. Two years later, the settlement was named Batmania after Batman. It didn't last long. Later that year, the settlement was renamed Melbourne after the British Prime Minister William Lamb, William Lamb, second Viscount Melbourne. And finally, from Renault, the Dingo Fence, which stretches from the Great Australian Bight in southern Australia to central Queensland, is the longest fence in the world at 5,614 kilometers. It is about twice as long as the Great Wall of China. Is it successful at keeping the dingoes out? That I don't know. All right. Um, I've given you my one of my favorite uh, facts that we got from Williams about the pubs closing at 6 p.m. So you better not get thirsty for a pint at 8. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was repealed in 1966. So you can have late night pubs in uh, Australia now. However, Melbourne was the first city in the world to get traffic lights. Was it the first city in the world or first city in Australia? Because this is something I learned over the winter, is that the gentleman who um, invented the modern traffic light Mm -hmm. is from Cleveland. Oh, is he? Yeah, there's a high school named after him. But he's from Cleveland. So there are... Traffic in Australia. In Australia, okay. 1928. Okay. Oh, and um, one other very special tweet that uh, Williams put out mm-hmm. was they caught one Sir Jackie Stewart in his plaid regalia bending over through the Magnum, um, Magnum ice cream bin to dig out his own UK Magnum. 
Okay. By the way, have you seen the Heineken commercial that's uh, been airing with Sir Jackie? Not. It's a lot of historic footage of him driving and going to parties and people drinking and whatever, and it's him moving through the years and, and all of that, and it ends with modern-day Jackie heading out the door of, I guess, a bar or something like that and walking down to this really nice white Aston Martin. But one of the waiters walks up, and he's holding a tray with two bottles of Heineken, and he goes, uh would you like one, sir? He offered. He offers Sir Jackie um, one of the beers, and Sir Jackie goes, "No thanks. I'm still driving." <laughs> nice. Yes. Nice. Um, you know, you did notice one thing in the track when they panned the track this weekend, right? The wall signs do not read "Bernie says think before you drive." That's true. We did not see "Bernie says think before you drive." It's uh. If you do, uh, if you drink, don't drive, or if you drive, don't drink, one or the other. Yeah. So, from Red Bull. Yes. Now I'm not going to read all of because they sent 13. A couple of them are a little, even for us, I think a bit inside baseball that I don't completely understand. Okay. But some of the they have sent over um, a handy guide to unlucky Melbourne moments. They sent over 13, but there were because a couple of them that made no sense. Because this is the RB13. Yeah. And... So the first one they have. It's unlucky to mock others' team kit before donning your team's figure-hugging Lycra creations. It's unlucky to hail your rookie driver as a champion in waiting minutes before the start of FP1 at Albert Park. It's unlucky to crow about your new car's amazing bit of aerodynamic trickery as it's rolled into scrutineering. It's unlucky to tell your colleagues just how much weight you lost over the winter as you tuck into the first bacon sandwich and donut breakfast of the season. It's unlucky to assume that the vital tool you carefully stowed in its flight case in Abu Dhabi is still there in Australia. It's unlucky to constantly calculate exchange rates and realize just unfeasibly and unfathomably expensive this place is. It's very lucky to find a new title sponsor, though often very unlucky when you see their wacky branding concepts. It's unlucky to leave your family for the first race of the year grinning and whistling, happy days are here again. (laughs) (laughs) It's unlucky to find your local sponsor event requires your drivers to consume raw shellfish. It's unlucky to find yourself in possession of a slow car and a driver whose greatest trait is unstinting honesty. And finally, it's unlucky to be, and this one I didn't completely understand, it's unlucky to be a team that has booked all your data analysts and their laptops on certain airlines' flights back to the UK. I don't know. Yeah, I'm guessing that they're mad at somebody. They may be mad at somebody. Oh, depends. You know, some uh, some flights are not letting uh, people going through certain countries to take laptops and stuff with them. That's true. Um, okay, so... Quick things I want to talk about, and some of those unlucky things mm-hmm. come with it. Um, amazing piece of scrutineering. We've talked about the shark fin. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the T-wing. Haas got told they couldn't run it. Well, they, they ran it in free practice one. They Which were we told watched, to, and that thing that was all over like the place. The ocean. <laughs> and um, free practice two, I guess they were told to remove it. It's out of here. And Gunther Sonner said, well, you know, I don't see the issue. It's on there pretty well. And even with it moving, it works just fine. But there's a definite aerodynamic advantage to having the T-Wing on there. So we want it. 
So what they did okay. was uh, they know that it was it's worth the effort to have it. So what they have done is they have run carbon fiber stiffening rods up the fin towards mm. the T-wing to make it so that the fin doesn't move because what was happening was it was the combination of they have a slighter fin than a lot of the other cars do. Yeah. They have that curve mm-hmm. design. So that top piece is flapping yeah, it's- left to right like nobody's business. And then the T is unstable as it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's supposed to move around a bit with all of the airflow. Um, so they have run these stiffening rods that have passed Charlie – has said that that is okay but look carefully at the side of the Haas and you will see under and it's under the decals I mean they have run this thing so that the decals run over it but there's a little ridge just up either side of the fin pointing right at that t-wing interesting yep so that's the thing to look for of course you will be able to see that when the car is going 175 miles an hour just like you can tell their their helmet their helmet and the numbers that are possibly not yeah. on the side of the car either hey Remember last week we talked that Adelaide is asking about getting a race? Yep. Um, the head of the Melbourne GP says uh, Adelaide can dream on. <laughs> um, one of the things that he said is that um, there's not the local financial support in Adelaide um, to bring the race in, or at least he believes that's the case. So he doesn't see it happening. Um they're very happy with the race in Melbourne. They want to keep the race in Melbourne. They have no plans to give up the race in Melbourne. Makes sense. They um, Melbourne loves their hometown boy so very much. Mm-hmm. Daniel Ricardo on Wednesday before free practice was beginning had 18 solid hours of press events. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And the fact that his people are not turning anything down, and the truth is, it puts him on the back foot for the race because that's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's prep work. It's exercise. It's all the various bits and pieces that get done in terms of just having to prepare for the race, mm-hmm. the engineering briefs, all that he's not doing. Yeah. He's not attending the engineering briefs. He's not attending some of the strategy sessions so that he can get out there and do more press runs. I mean, that's, I mean, amazing stamina for him, but I was just listening to applaud. hours. I, I applaud him wanting to get out there and, you know, interact and do all that stuff. But on the other hand, oh, maybe you need to know when to say when. Well, I assure you that Fernando's not doing 18 hours when the race comes to Barcelona. No, hell And no. I assure you that Hamilton is not doing 18 hours of, of press when it's in Silverstone either. I don't think any of the drivers do anything like that anywhere else. Yeah. But apparently this is something that, I mean, Daniel is very well known for the fact that he doesn't turn these things down. He wants to be around his fans. He loves it. And he's got that giant smile and he's such an absolute ambassador for the sport now my recommendation is that at some point he needs to have ready and in in the back to come out and on a moment's notice so that he can fill in for daniel and daniel can get some some downtime one mark weber yeah i think that would work just well for him i mean still got the red bull affiliation and all of that i mean Yes. It's the way true. to go. Oh, and speaking of our Daniel and our Aussies, when they panned the crowd, 
Did you notice the can cozies in the shape of shoes? I did. Gotta love which, which by the way, this year, Daniel has his own grandstand. He has his own grandstand. He has his own grandstand. I don't know if the entire Ricardo family and friends and acquaintances are all that are in the grandstand, but he has his own grandstand. Whoa. Now, my hope is that him getting his own grandstand works out a whole lot better than Daniel Kafiat getting his own grandstand in Sochi. Well, yeah. Because that didn't go very well. Now, based on qualifying, we'll see. Yeah. Well, I mean... They're not, they're, they didn't come, they made it to Q1. Yeah. They, they made it towards the top of Q1. Well, they're running the Renault engines. And we know that Renault has had issues with. With marker. Crossed out the word Renault and wrote in Tag Heuer above it. Okay. So the Toro Rossos are running the, the, the Renault engines with Renault. How's yes. that? We know that there have been reliability issues with the Renault engines. Renault identified it to a problem with the ERS. They actually, according to reports that, that I saw, recognized the issue prior to testing. Oh, wow. Um, but did not have enough time to fabricate the fix to get it in there in order to, to resolve the issue. So that was why they were having the problems that they were having. That's, that's the report we had heard. And as part of that, it also heard that they had come out with it, it was insulation that needed to be put in place around the ERS to resolve the issue. And I heard going into practices that the, the insulation was there, the fix was in place, it was working. Then this morning, I hear that, yeah, no, actually, they didn't fix it. They've reverted back to the 2016 design for the ERS because they didn't have a chance to finish the fix. And it's, they probably won't have that ready now until the next major engine upgrade. Oh, wow. So try and figure that one out. Did they fix it or not? Did they go to the old? I, I don't know. Because I've now heard two different things. Oh. Yeah. Well, that can explain why Max is less than thrilled. Well, the other reason that Max could be less than thrilled is that, as you'll recall, there was the Ferrari letter. Oh, yes. About... Suspension designs. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, suspension design, suspension setups were going to be inspected in Barcelona, and teams that were not compliant were going to be directed to change their suspension design. Red Bull and Mercedes were both directed to change their suspension designs. Interesting. Now, the thought is that this won't have a huge impact on at least Mercedes because while this was a suspension setup that they ran last year, they didn't run it at every race last year. They only ran it at certain races. Okay. So the thought is that this won't be a big deal for Mercedes. Haven't heard anything one way or the other about the the Red Bulls. Okay. Um, also being inspected this week, one of the things that Charlie Whiting's team will be doing is they're going to be looking at – what is being burned in the engines? Oh. Because somebody wrote a letter. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, one of our favorite listeners then has reported that his 72 Corsica was obviously ahead of its time. Yes. <laughs> that it, too, was burning oil in its engines. Which, by the way, Phil, thank you for sending over your predictions. We really appreciate that. We got a kick out of them. 
Yes. Yes. Uh, especially your top story. Now, I am going to, at this point, close the door on future predictions only because the season has started. Can I update mine yet? Nope. No updating. They are in the vault. We also, and this I think was really kind of strange. Pascal Verline pulled out at the last, he pulled out this morning from the event. Right. Um, now, if you go back into your memory bank, you'll remember that he was involved in a pretty serious uh, crash with Massa at the uh, Race of Champions yes. in Miami. Um, that he has been it delayed some of his training and his preparations and such for the Melbourne race. He was deemed fit to enter and compete. It's not that. He actually pulled out because he stated he did not feel fit physically capable of doing the race yeah what what uh, pascal said was every situation is different i had a back injury and i couldn't train as hard as i wanted and that is it so every situation is different we are not feeling comfortable to race this weekend the injury happened i think nine weeks ago and that was the time where you just have to prepare as good as you can for the season the injury took me a step backwards of course and now i'm just catching up I felt like everything was okay, but just not for the whole race distance. You never drive under race circumstances, and yesterday in the car in the long run, you feel it more than in testing or in shorter runs. So my question is, knowing his condition, why is it Sauber didn't have him do, especially towards the end of testing two weeks ago some longer runs why didn't they try a race simulation or two to see if he was up to it because monisha yeah i i this this is odd it's odd it's truly very odd and quite frankly i'm not above wondering if this is actually the truth and I, I, I hate to be all conspiracy theory on, on you and all of that, but the truth of the matter is very simple. Even Cothard came out. He was exceedingly down on this. You, you go out, you drive the car. You've been put in the car. You're capable of driving the car. Yeah, you're going to be sore, but because you couldn't train hard enough for nine weeks is not a, is not a reason to not get in the car. Well, then you should have pulled out before the weekend even started. Right. There's that piece. Their reserve driver found out that he was going to be driving and qualifying that morning. Actually, from what I read, I'm not really sure he's their actual... I don't think they have a reserve driver. He's he's, like he, some he's a test and reserve driver. He, he's a test and development driver for Ferrari. Right. They got permission from Ferrari. Ferrari loaned them the driver. I, and see, that's part of what I'm wondering. You think there's some money involved? I think and, there's some money. That's my conspiracy theory. I mean, seems I'm going to fashion my own tinfoil hat here shortly because obviously I have gone down the road of conspiracy theorists, but it just it doesn't make any sense. So, tinfoil hats are me. So one of the other odd things that happened this weekend, Sergio Perez, who qualified in 11th, was given a reprimand for an incident that occurred during qualifying. Oh. Yeah, figure this one out. 
So the statement that came from the stewards said, the stewards heard from the driver, Sergio Perez, and team representative and determined that he did exceed the time specified by the FIA in event document 10 by slightly more than four seconds and was not impeded by any other driver and therefore was driving unnecessarily slowly in violation of Article 27.4 of the FIA Formula One Sporting Regulations. As Perez did not impede any other driver, the stewards considered a reprimand sufficient. So he was driving too slowly at some point, and they reprimanded him. Okay. Odd. Yeah. Very odd. Um, do you have the information about the young Lance Stroll? That he got a penalty for a gearbox change because he... Um, so he went crashy? He, he, he touched a wall again? Yeah, he went crashy. In FP3. He broke the car. Um, and the side of the car that he broke is where the gearbox is. And Williams forgot to tell the FIA. They forgot to tell the FIA? Yeah. They because... had to replace the gearbox. And the, uh, the gearboxes have to be inspected and sealed before they go out and qualifying. And Williams didn't tell them. That's why he got the and... penalty. Well, but it was still a gearbox change it's after gearbox the weekend change, started. The FIA didn't know that they were changing the gearbox until after it came back into park for May. But that, see, that can't be right. Only because when we were watching and they knew within minutes of him coming out in the coverage that the gearbox was changed because they said it. They didn't get it inspected. What it has that to have different. So they didn't tell the FIA. And give enough time for the FIA to come over and put their magic duct tape on the gearbox. Mm -hmm. They have to seal it so that no major changes can happen to it when it's put in the car. That's the requirement. That did not occur before he went out in qualifying. There is no going back and, and like there's not right. sealing it after the fact and it being okay. So they're moving him. Um, well, he's starting at the back of the grid. Right. So the question was, so Williams has been called before the stewards at 1130 tomorrow morning, Australian time, to decide whether he is starting from the 19th provisional spot that he is currently in or the pit lane or the back of the grid. In, in all honesty, I'm kind of surprised that they're even letting him run the car. I mean, it's a, it's a gearbox. It's 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 a legal item. It's an approved item. They just right, didn't but get the it car, like but the car to. wasn't in the appropriate condition. It it wasn't appropriately scrutineered prior to going out for qualifying. I I mean, I don't know whether that was just a timing thing because they had worked so hard to get the car put back together that they didn't have enough time to call him over to tape it, or what. But that seems like a really rookie miss for Williams. Yeah. Yeah, that's really odd. I mean, it's not something that Claire would stand for. Well, from the back of the grid with Lance Stroll and Jolian Palmer, whoa, that was not pretty. Yeah. Um, up to the front where I don't want to get too excited by it. But we had uh, a Ferrari in with the Mercedes. Split the Mercedes. Um, never mind the fact that Lewis had a pretty blinding pace. Oh. 
Well, he had beat the track record on his first run in Q3. Yeah. And his second one, he beat that. Yeah. Um, now, he's uh, Seb in the Ferrari is two-tenths off of Lewis's time. Mm-hmm. But Botas in the Mercedes is three one-hundredths behind Seb. Yeah. I mean, that's like, you can't put a hair between those two. Well... And Valtteri was upset about the, about uh, the lap. He, he didn't feel that he ran it as cleanly as he could have and should have. Yes, he knows that this is a, a car that can go on pole. But I think as long as he is dishing it up for second and, and he is close, I think that's what he needs. Well, it's definitely what he needs. But everything I have read as I've been catching up on, you know, who is Valtteri, mm-hmm. he is an absolute perfectionist. Yeah. And he's very hard on himself when he's not perfect. And so being that very Finn type that he is, just slightly more talkative than the other Finn, <laughs> um, I think that you'll hear him talk about more about what he could have done than you would have ever heard Hamilton talk about that. I don't know. It depends on how what kind of a broody mood Hamilton is in. Yeah, broody and Hamilton true. is a completely different story. Um, now, yes, he was two thousandths off Seb. Seb said that he didn't have a clean lap either. There were two turns that he lost some time that he had had some issues in. Um, but even that, as it is, he doesn't think he had the pace to catch Lewis. Mm. I mean, let's face it. Lewis was three-tenths faster than um, than both of them on the first lap, and then another three-tenths faster on the second lap. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was, he was in the zone. He just was in the zone. But that puts Seb on the front row with Lewis. And, and here's the wild card. Yeah. Seb is really good at getting off the starts. Lewis has had serious consistency problems. And in his post-interview, he even said, I lost the world championship last year because of my starts. Mm-hmm. And we've worked, we've been working on them, but we got to have to see. And, and he has, and Mercedes has changed the way the clutch paddles work. There's now, it, it's not just a flat panel. There's like indentations for the fingers and stuff. But they've changed the the design of the paddle to hopefully alleviate some of Lewis's issues. Mm. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. Um, which I guess you know we ha- got to talk a little bit about coverage. Yeah. Um, what a disaster with the graphics! <laughs> you don't realize how much you depend on those graphics until you don't have them. Yes. I mean, I like the new graphics that that show. Um, how they're doing through the lap, and and you know whether they're hitting personal bests. It's not just breaking down by or, se- sectors; it's like subsectors. Yeah, that I think is pretty cool. Um, I also really liked when the graphics finally started working. We knew who was on out laps. We knew all of those. It wasn't just that they weren't in the pit anymore. I liked that too. Um, but in a bigger picture. And again, this is going to be on a country-by-country basis. I don't know how this is going to impact the U.S., but Liberty has apparently realized that a full pay-only broadcast model is not the best option and has hurt audiences. 
Now they they're not looking to completely ditch a pay per or pay uh, model. They, there is a lot of money to be made there, and they're not willing to let that go. But they're looking at least in some countries to bring some races, not the full season, but some races on free to air TV. So I don't know how that's going to impact the U.S. It probably is going to impact the U.K. more. If anything, I think we might see another race end up airing on NBC as opposed or whoever the broadcaster is. I mean, right now we get Austin and we get, I think, and, and Monaco. Mm-hmm. We don't even get Montreal, I think, at this point. So maybe we'll get Montreal again. Maybe we'll see Mexico again. Maybe we'll see Brazil again. But they're at least open to trying to increase some of the free options for some races at least. Well, that's good to hear. Um, They've also mentioned the possibility of looking at um, a different way to deliver online and possibly taking advantage of that as well. Also a good thing to hear. Yeah. And in our last story, once again, assets for manor were up for auction again. Among the items that are up for auction that you could purchase for yourself, their 2017 wind tunnel model, the one that revealed uh-huh. to us the first look of the 2017 cars. Aww. Yeah. It's kind of sad. It is sad. It is. Um, and I'm just I'm hoping that uh, Liberty is listening. I mean, they seem to be. Mm-hmm. And th- it seems to be something that they want to deal with is the fact that, I mean, we heard from, I, I think it was Sean Bratches and not uh, not Ross Braun who was saying that it, it's not financially, it, it's truly not financially feasible for a small organization to come in and run a team. No. Well, I was looking at numbers. At the smallest of teams have stacks of 200 people. Mm-hmm. And just in staffing costs alone, just in staffing for 200 people, the payroll at the low end, the low end is something like 100 million pounds. I mean, that's that's just to buy people. That's yeah. not one nut, one bolt, one engine, one mm-hmm. body. That's nothing. That's just to have enough people to run this thing. I mean, that's that's an expensive bohemia. Yeah. But even at that, and as expensive as some other professional sports are, the other comment that was that eyebrows made was that you look across other professional sports, when a team goes up for sale, there's normally a fight for it. Mm-hmm. And Manor was allowed to go up for sale and come off and disappear from the grid, and there wasn't a whimper. Well, we don't know what the packages were put forward. We do know that there were... There was interest in the team, but obviously nothing strong enough to, to save the team. Right. But, yeah. I mean, I still baffle at the way Haas decided to enter. I mean, he could have bought uh, Yeah, I don't know what Gene was thinking there. Yeah. Well, we do, and Gene realizes he was not thinking right. <laughs> <laughs> you did that wrong. So... Yeah, by the time you hear this, you will know who the winner of the Australian Grand Prix is. Lewis. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think I am hoping that we have a good race. 
it's, that's really it's, all it's I'm hoping up for. To be. I hope that we don't have a first turn incident. I think there. Well, actually, now that Lance Stroll is going to be starting somewhere from the back, I think you that decreases. So if he was in the middle of the pack, I think there was that risk. You are so convinced he's going to be crashy Stroll. Let's look at what he has done so far. <laughs> Let's look at the evidence that has been presented to us so far since he has gotten in a Formula One car. Yeah, he's been a little crashy. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay.